Let us pray. Holy Spirit, empower us to live in light of the gospel, declaring its truth with our words and embodying this truth through our actions. Give us love for you and love for one another. Amen. In last week's scripture, Gabriel showed up. The angel had some news for Zechariah that he and Elizabeth, who had given up on having children, were going to have a son. This echoes stories from the Hebrew scripture, the earliest being Abraham and Sarah's, about couples who were blessed with a child when you wouldn't expect it. Zechariah and Elizabeth were a logical choice for such an honor. She was a descendant of Aaron, and he was a priest from Abijah's line. They lived righteous and blameless lives. Zechariah was actually in the sanctuary of the Lord when Gabriel showed up to deliver the news. It was a pretty good setup for an encounter with an angel. Nonetheless, Zechariah expressed doubt and lost his ability to speak. Then we heard Elizabeth's voice a little bit at the end of last week's passage. Six months later, Gabriel returned to the region, this time to a little town called Nazareth, which at that time was where you lived if you worked in nearby Sephoris but couldn't afford to buy a house there. Unlike our previous story, however, he was not there to appear to a leader in the faith or to a man. He was not there to speak to a king or to a barren woman. He did have good news, but nobody expected it to be delivered this way. That brings us to this week's scripture passage, Luke 1, 26 through 45. Uh, I'll be reading from the message translation. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to the Galilean village of Nazareth to a virgin engaged to be married to a man descended from David. His name was Joseph and the virgin's name, Mary. Upon entering, Gabriel greeted her. Good morning. You're beautiful with God's beauty, beautiful inside and out. God be with you. She was thoroughly shaken, wondering what was behind a greeting like that. But the angel assured her, Mary, you have nothing to fear. God has a surprise for you. You will become pregnant and give birth to a son and call his name Jesus. He will be great, be called Son of the Highest. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. He will rule Jacob's house forever, no end ever to his kingdom. Mary said to the angel, but how I've never slept with a man. The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, the power of the highest hover over you. Therefore, the child you bring to birth will be called holy, son of God. And did you know that your cousin Elizabeth conceived a son, old as she is? Everyone called her barren, and here she is, six months pregnant. Nothing, you see, is impossible with God. And Mary said, yes, I see it all now. 
I'm the Lord's maid, ready to serve. Let it be with me just as you say. Then the angel left her. Mary didn't waste a minute. She got up and traveled to a town in Judah in the hill country, straight to Zechariah's house, and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby in her womb leaped. She was filled with the Holy Spirit and sang out exuberantly, You're so blessed among women, and the babe in your womb also blessed. And why am I so blessed that the mother of my Lord visits me? The moment the sound of your greeting entered my ears, the babe in my womb skipped like a lamb for sheer joy. Blessed woman who believed what God said, believed every word would come true. Holy wisdom, holy word. You're invited to take a moment to pause for prayer and reflection on the text. Around 2011, an eight-year-old girl from Sweden was diagnosed with Asperger's syndrome and selective mutism. In 2018, that girl saw her country suffer severe effects from climate change, including rampant wildfires and the hottest summer in 262 years of record-keeping. This alarmed her, and she began spending her days sitting in front of the Swedish parliament building. She refused to attend school until their election day. Unfortunately, such quiet actions don't typically capture the attention of the media, which is drawn to more graphic or tragic or frightening stories. The story of Greta Thunberg, however, captured the imagination of many. Six months later, an estimated 1.6 million students from over 120 countries joined together in a climate strike. Greta was a Nobel Peace Prize nominee and Time Magazine's Person of the Year for 2019. She has spoken before the UN and World Economic Forum. She has 4.4 million Twitter followers. Sweden's Prime Minister has 467 and 10.6 million followers on Instagram. She is still not old enough to vote, but has spoken to and exchanged tweets with world leaders. You wouldn't expect a teenage girl to be able to help keep the world inhabitable for future generations, but we're seeing it happen before our eyes. In 1917, in Mississippi, a black Baptist preacher and his wife, who was a domestic servant, had the last of their 20 children. When she was six years old, that little girl began working for a sharecropper boss, putting in 12 to 14 hours a day while still managing to fit in some school. She later married, adopted two children, and worked three jobs on a plantation. She learned in 1962 that she had the right to vote 
and volunteered to accompany civil rights activists to another town to try to register. She was forced to take a rigged literacy test, which all in the group failed. On the way home, their bus was stopped by the highway patrol and the driver was arrested due to the bus being the wrong color yellow. Once she finally arrived home, she learned that the owner of the plantation where she worked was angry about her trying to register and she had to leave her jobs and the county. Fannie Lou Hamer shared that story with the nation on August 21st, 1964, during a nationally televised session with the Credentials Committee at the Democratic National Convention. She then told another story, this one about her trip home following a voter registration workshop. Their bus stopped at a restaurant from which Fannie Lou and her companions were taken by the police to the county jail. While there, she heard people being beaten and screaming. Then she was taken to a cell with two black male prisoners. The officers gave one a blackjack, then forced first him and then the other to beat her with it while she laid face down on the bed. Fannie Lou's story continued, but was preempted by an address from the President of the United States. LBJ had been listening to her testimony and understood the impact it would have on the American people, many of whom were not aware of the degree to which voter suppression and violence against black people were practiced in many pockets of America. He ordered his staffers to call an impromptu press conference, which interrupted the broadcast from the convention. Ultimately, though, his tactic backfired as Fannie Lou Hamer was the lead story on the evening news. Fannie Lou came from a humble background, but became a leading figure in the civil rights movement. As with many leaders in that movement, her faith was core to who she was, and she overcame many obstacles to fight for what she believed in, doing so with bravery, persistence, and honesty. And despite the many layers of privilege between her and Lyndon Johnson, for a few moments in 1964, she was powerful enough to send the President of the United States into a panic. Around 2020 years ago, in an inconsequential town that was part of a land that had been conquered by the Assyrians, then the Babylonians, then the Persians, then the Greeks, and was at that time controlled by the Romans, a young woman who may very well have been about the same age as Greta Thunberg was preparing to marry a carpenter. Then Gabriel arrived. The Lord is with you, he said, don't be afraid. He referred to Mary as most favored and said she would have a great son who would be called son of the most high, reign on the throne of David and have an unending kingdom. Mary's first response, how can this be, is understandable. This message from Gabriel up to the ante from what he had shared with Zechariah, who was told his wife would bear a son in her old age. God had done that more than once before, and it was recorded in Hebrew scripture. 
As a faith leader, Zechariah shouldn't have been entirely surprised. Maybe that justifies his losing his voice for a few months. Mary, on the other hand, was being told she was going to give birth to the Son of the Most High. She and Joseph weren't even married yet. At least one question might be in order. Gabriel reassures her that the Holy Spirit will be involved and thus her son will be holy. Her relative Elizabeth is also pregnant. For God, nothing is impossible. Mary's second reply is, let it be according to your word. Mary then hurried to visit Elizabeth. What happens next is uncommon in scripture. The voices in verses 39 through 56 belong exclusively to women. Maybe this was possible because Zechariah was still mute at the time. Mary is provided additional reassurance when Elizabeth's promised son recognizes Mary's promised son as the Lord. That brings us to one of my favorite passages of scripture, the Magnificat, but you'll hear more about that next week. So why Mary? What do we know about her? She was a virgin engaged to be married. That was true of many young women at that time. Gabriel indicated that she had found favor with God. We don't know exactly why, but get some indication from her response to Gabriel. Here am I, the servant of the Lord. Let it be with me according to your word. A few minutes earlier, Mary had probably been going about her daily business. She was anticipating her marriage to Joseph, perhaps, or performing chores or even praying, probably doing something routine. Moments later, she had been visited by an angel with news that would completely change her life and humankind. Her response was one of trust, acceptance, and faith. God knew who God was choosing to be the mother of our Savior. But God's choice also sends a message to us beyond Mary's qualities. As I said earlier, Mary was a young woman from an inconsequential town in a conquered land. She was not wealthy or a member of the ruling class. You would not expect someone like Mary to be the mother of Emmanuel. God with us. Or maybe if you look at scripture, you'd not be surprised at all. Joseph from the book of Genesis was the 11th of 12 brothers. By the customs of the time, only the first son is considered favored. Looking at it from presidential succession terms, Joseph would be secretary of commerce. Moses had a speech impediment. David, who became king of Israel, was the youngest of eight sons. Jeremiah, who we heard from a couple weeks ago, might have been illiterate. The prophet Amos was a sycamore tree farmer. The apostle Peter was a hothead. Before his conversion, Paul was best known for persecuting Christians. Completely defying social norms, Mary Magdalene, Lydia, Priscilla, and Junia, all women, were important leaders in the early Christian church. 
and you already know about Fannie Lou and Greta. You just never know who the Holy Spirit is going to inhabit as God's plan for humankind unfolds. Twenty twenty is probably not the year to expect something good. Personally, I'm not prone to optimism. Thankfully, our faith offers hope. That hope comes in part from remembering that the Holy Spirit often realizes the work of God through unexpected means. In fact, that might be God's favorite way of doing things. So this morning, I'm not asking you to expect a silver lining while our holiday traditions are being upended, but at least be open to the possibility, maybe even be on the lookout. After all, ours is a God who chose to conquer sin, death, and human authorities, not through divine power and might. Rather, our God chose to be born in human form to a teenage girl from a tiny town in a conquered land. Her son Jesus was a member of a non-preferential race, practiced a non-favored religion, and had unpopular friends. And his method of exerting strength was through humility, pouring himself out for the sake of all humankind. That's not what you'd expect, but it's how the kingdom of God operates. Thanks be to God.